Hey, my name is Chris and I serve on the worship team here at Revolution. I play the drums and I've been serving on this team for about six years, a little over six years or so. Whether you are a beginner or whether you are at the top of your craft, we want you to join our team to be part of our community. My wife and I, we moved here about six years ago and when we started serving in the church and joining teams, we were actually able to meet other believers. In joining a team, oftentimes people think that it's just individual pods and groups of people. But what I've found is that when you join a team, you actually wind up interacting with all of the groups. And so I love the fact that we're able to take different groups of people, mesh them all together with one heart, and that's to serve the church. My name is Kevin Perez. I serve on the student ambassador team and the stage hosting team in Canton. And I have been serving in both teams for about a year now. The heart behind uh, serving is all about friendships and just uh, being able to uh, serve alongside people that I really love hanging out with. Through serving, God has provided me with so many new friendships that I would have never had if I hadn't served. And it's also given me a platform to be able to express myself and to do what I love. I think it's important for younger people to serve as well so that we can show everyone that anyone can do it. It's great because uh, you can be on a much more personal level with your students. They, they see you as a very, a very relatable person. I'm Teresa Andrews and this is my husband Brian. And we've been at Revolution now for about a year and both of us are serving on the welcome team. I think one of the great things about serving is you can jump in and, and see what God will do and how he will use your gifts or reveal new gifts. Serving should be an overflow of your love for Christ and through that loving and serving others. My experience has been one of the best ways uh, to grow relationships is to jump in and serve together. Man, I gotta tell you, we love our team members here. In fact, if you serve, uh, let's give it up. If you don't serve, let's give it up for everybody who serves here. Um, we call them team members because it really is a team. It takes a team to do everything that we do. And we literally have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of team members. And our church has always been built on that aspect. We believe in Ephesians chapter four, where it says God has called us as pastors to equip people to do the work of ministry. That's where real multiplication happens. And so we wanted to highlight that just to, for you to hear a couple of stories from our team members. One, because we want to celebrate our team members, like I said. And so if you see somebody in a team member shirt, a welcome shirt, a rev kits, a production, man, just at some point, make sure you tell them you can do the air five, right? Since we're not touching, right? Or fist bump through the air, whatever it is. Um, just tell them thank you for serving and, and sacrificially giving of their time because without our team members, there's absolutely no way we'd be able to do what we do at Revolution Church. But we also want to speak to maybe people that were serving but haven't come back to serving yet because of the pandemic. Maybe you're still at home and you're gonna come back whenever you get back here. Uh, or maybe you've never served because we wanna let you know that we're trying to make it easier for you to have the opportunity to serve because back when we were doing everything in person, we would do a join a team class pretty much every week where you had an opportunity to jump in. And then during this pandemic, we've been doing it on Zoom and we've been having that uh, a couple times a month. Now, because of our amazing technology and all of our amazing production people on our staff, we're be being able to do that kind of in an on-demand format to where you can go on our website starting this week and you can watch a video, you can sign up to serve, we'll get all the background check stuff done all digitally. So we wanna enable you to have more opportunities. That way, if you can't, come to a, uh, join a team Zoom at a certain time or even back when we were Zoom in person. So just wanted to put that out there because without you, literally we can't do what we do, like I said. And we're still at capacity, but one of the biggest limiting factors for us to continue to get back to the levels we were and then hopefully beyond is our team members, specifically in our kids and students and our welcome teams areas because that is what enables us to do what we do every week, all right? So team members, thank you from the bottom of my heart. We got a Zoom party coming up. Make sure you sign up for that. We're gonna have a lot of fun. All right. So if you got a Bible, open it up to Mac. Uh, I almost said Matthew. It's another M. All right. Micah chapter four. I'm not switching up the series on you. Micah chapter four. And we're just walking through this book. We've been in it now. This is the fourth week. We'll slow down a little bit starting next week and kind of spend a little bit more time on each of the last three chapters just because they are so dense. And we want to make sure that we really dig into those because there's some amazing stuff. And I believe in chapter four today as well, we're going to see that. All right. So let's pray before we jump into the text and then we'll get started. 
Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace always. And God, as we open up your word, we want to again acknowledge the fact that without your Holy Spirit, God, we can't hear, we can't listen, we can't apply these truths to our lives. So we pray that you would fill us with your spirit like we talked about last week. God, that you would enable us, that you would make us into the people that honor and walk with you. And so, God, we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, and this chapter is 13 verses. We're going to work all the way through. And so I'm going to hit the first section, kind of verses 1 through 5. And these are some of the verses, i got to be honest with you, that that honestly are some of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, Because, as you're going to see, not only, I mean, the whole book is prophecy, but these first five verses, I think, are just huge in understanding what God is doing in the world. Now, they're going to have some specific, again, like I've said all the way through this, this book wasn't written to us. It was written to a group of people at a specific time, 700 years before Christ, but it is for us. And so there's some things that we're going to see in this first section, really in this chapter, uh, and, and really by principle in the whole letter or the whole book, that have already happened, some things that have already taken place, but I think And most theologians would agree that there's still some future things that are going to happen. And so I think what we're going to dig through this is really going to help us understand what God is doing and all the craziness that we see going on around us. So let's jump in. Micah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills. And peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now let's stop and chat here for a little bit. First, he says here, It shall come to pass in the latter days. So a couple things there. One, when it says it shall come to pass, that is written in the Hebrew perfect tense, which means that's a tense that, that says you can take this one to the bank. It's, this isn't it might happen. It, I think it's going to happen. No, this, this shall. It's going to perfectly happen. These things will come to pass. So the first thing that we can do, we can trust in the fact that no matter what we see going on around us, no matter what craziness we see going on around us, The plans of the Lord shall come to pass. Nothing can thwart God. And that's why every generation of believers, whether it was 700 years before Christ or now 2,020 years after Christ, we can trust that. We can take it to the bank that what God said will come to pass will come to pass. No matter who's president or who we think might be president, no matter what's going on in our world today, we can rely and rest on the fact that the word of God will come true. In fact, the word says about itself that all these other things will pass away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And so when we bank our life on the word of God, there's rest there. There's a rock there. There's security there. There's a grounding there. So I think it's important to highlight that, but because what God said was going to come to pass in some ways has come to pass. Now, the second part there of the phrase, he says, in the latter days. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, okay, when is the latter days? Now, in case you didn't know, the the different religious group than us called the Mormons also call themselves the latter day saints, where they get that phrase is from right there, because they see us in the season of the latter days. Now, I say different religion because they are not Christians. It's a completely different belief set. They have a whole different set of scriptures than we do. I don't, this is not the sermon today, but, but it brings up the question of, okay, how we interpret the latter days is kind of a lens through which we see a lot of other things. Now, this phrase here, latter days, again, I say this often, but in Hebrew, one word can mean many words. So this phrase here, latter days, can mean literally the last days. That is a meaning. It also can mean just future. So future time period. And so this was written, again, between 750 to 700 BC. And so Micah is prophesying, hey, future from now. So in that sense, that's true. That it was going to happen in the future. And it did happen in the future. And I'll highlight some of those too. 
But what I want you to understand is anytime you're reading the Bible, particularly when it comes to future events, or the theological term would be eschatology, and that's the study of end times or the study of the last days, you have to hold those things very, very loosely. And people have asked me throughout my 10 years here, it's like, oh, are we in the last days? You know what? We're closer today than we were yesterday. I can tell you that. Why? Because it's all future. Now, is this the last days? I don't know. Everybody thought Y2K was the end of the world, right? And then we had the, the whole uh, Mayan thing in 2012, like it was all going to end then. And then we had you know, people drinking Kool-Aid and saying they're coming back in a space saucer. I, I don't know. Here's what I know. If anybody tells you to drink Kool-Aid, don't do it. I know that. But be real careful who you listen to when it comes to giving you specific predictions about what's going to happen in the last days. The Bible describes it. In fact, Paul says it later in the New Testament. We see through a glass dimly. Like we can't see everything. We can't know everything. But there are some things we can know. And those that we can know, we should know them. Those that we can't know, man, we just leave that up to the mystery of the Lord. Now, let me give you another principle when it comes to interpreting texts like this. Any kind of eschatological text. There's another theological phrase, and I've said this before if you've been around here, that is helpful for us to understand, and it's the phrase of already, not yet. Already, not yet. Because see, biblical scholars, in fact, when Jesus showed up, one of the primary reasons why the Jewish people did not believe Jesus was Yeshua, that he was the Messiah, is because they didn't understand that all the prophecies of the Old Testament was actually going to be fulfilled in two different comings. That Jesus was going to come first as a suffering servant, and then he would come again as a conquering king. They, they didn't see that. They thought that was all together. They didn't understand that there was a, a, a moment of time that was going to take place between those two things. So when we talk about already not yet, what we're going to see is some of these things have already happened, but some of these things have not yet happened. So that's what I mean when we're interpreting it. Okay, so we look at this and we say, okay, in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established, the highest of the mountains, and people shall flow to it. People will come to it and they will say, teach us his ways. Now, my personal opinion, again, you can disagree with me or you could find some pastor or theologian that can disagree with me. I think this has implications of already, not yet. In some ways, I believe these events have already happened. Why? Because we know from history that in 586, the first temple was destroyed and they were exiled into Babylon. Then we know several hundred years later in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, they come back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple and reinstitute the law. And in that point in time, a lot of things were reestablished again. And then Herod comes along, expands upon that temple so that when Jesus shows up on the, on the scene, the temple of God is back. And so I do think that some of this is a reference to that, because again, this was hundreds of years before Ezra and Nehemiah, hundreds of years before that. I also think that when Jesus came, it was switching from the temple from a place to a person. This is why Jesus made comments like, you can tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're looking at him like, who are you, Joker? You see all these stones? This took way more than three days. This took like 30 years. What was Jesus saying there? He was saying, listen, it's switching from a place to a person. It's not about this temple. It's about what I'm going to do because this temple has always been about me. You guys just missed it. And the temple's going to switch from this one geographical location now to believers who have the Holy Spirit. Now we are the temple. And I believe in Acts chapter 2, which is a fulfillment of Joel, which was a prophecy or a wish of uh, Moses way back in the day when the Spirit was going to fall and all nations would come. Well, that happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So again, I think some of these things have happened. But I think there's an element of there's a not yetness to this. There's still some things that are going to happen that have not happened yet. Here's the way that you can understand it. There are patterns that God does. So God is going to establish, and then we sin, he destroys, he reestablishes, and he draws again. 
And so I think God is still doing this. In fact, Jesus himself said uh, in John 12, 32, he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I will draw all people to myself. So that's what God is doing. Now, there's some future aspects to this, and I will point this out to you that I don't think has happened yet. Look at verse three. He shall judge between many peoples. Notice it goes from talking about a place to now a person. It was talking about the mountain. Now it's talking about a person, the Messiah. Verse three, he, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes from strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now, I don't think that has fully happened yet because what he's talking about is world peace. What he's talking about, I believe, is when Jesus returns. Again, it's hard to understand, but all the prophecies of the Old Testament were either about Jesus's first coming or his second coming. And so I think this is a reference to something that's still going to come. Why? Because there's a lot of people still carrying swords. There's a lot of people still fighting. There's a lot of people still going around with weapons of warfare instead of weapons of growth. But what I want to point out to you is this is our hope. This is the, if you want to know what team we're on, we're not on the team with the swords. We're on the teams with the plowshares. That's what team we're on. And what's really crazy, and this is why I said I love this verse, is this verse, in fact, this verse, very, very exact same language is repeated in the book of Isaiah. So the book of Isaiah and the book of Micah, very because they were both contemporaries of each other. They were both prophesying at the same times. This verse has led to, you might not even know this, but a statue in our country that sits right now outside of the UN in New York City. I got a picture for you uh, right here. So here's a picture. This is a statue that was donated to us in the 60s, I believe, of a man who has a hammer in his hand. And that's a sword in his other hand. And he's literally beating the sword into a plowshare that sits outside the UN in our country right now. You didn't realize how biblically informed even our government and so many things about our country is. But why does that statue sit there? Because what is the purpose of the UN? It should be the purpose. It's not always the purpose. It's United Nations, right? is to bring nations together to try to form peace on the earth. It came after our world wars. But here's what I want you to see. The nations want it, but only the church can provide it. The nations desire it. They want it. Most nations, unless they have an evil dictator, most nations want peace. That's why that was gifted to us. And there is an inscription on there from Isaiah, this exact same verse. So what was Micah saying then? You see how it has future implications? Micah was saying then, listen, right now it's war. You're about to go into exile, but what is God's plan? What is God doing? What are we to be about? We're to be the kind of people who don't walk around with swords, but who walk around with plowshares. Look, he goes on. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit. This just sounds awesome to me. They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. I mean, Corona commercials ain't got nothing on that, right? Isn't it amazing? Like we always see these commercials of paradise and all these things, and our heart yearns and aches for it. And the world desires it, but the world doesn't have the power to actually do it. Why? Because it only comes through Christ. He says, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Verse five, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. Notice lowercase g, but we, that's a huge phrase, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever. Now, why am I pointing this out? Here's why. That was a prophecy that Micah said. He said, listen, I'm going to send you guys into exile. When I send you guys into exile, don't fight it. Don't fight what I'm doing. Don't fight me. 
and don't fight them, even though they did. Why? Because God is punishing you right now, and this is because of you. We did that last week. But what I want you to understand is what is God's goal? What, what does God, how does God want you to walk? God wants you to be the kind of person who walks, not with the sword, but with the plowshare. And, and the reason why I think this is so important, and again, I've been highlighting this for the last few weeks, is because I, I have an increasing burden on my heart not just for our country, but for the church, that we are on the precipice of doing exactly what happened to the nation of Israel splitting in two. Splitting in two. And invariably, when we feel like our turf is being attacked or standing or status or freedoms, what is our natural uh, flesh gut reaction? Pull out the sword, baby. I'm going to defend my territory. Now, again, I'm not talking politically here. I'm not talking there's not places for army and police for it. I'm not saying that. What I'm talking to is the church. The church so quickly can take the patterns of the world, the methods of the world, and try to baptize them and do it in the name of Jesus. You see this through the, throughout Christian history in the Crusades. We got attacked, and then we attacked back. Well, that's not how we act. Why? Let me give you this point, and I'll explain it. We can tell who we worship by how we walk. Let me say that again. We can tell who we worship by how we walk. I'm emphasizing this because I want you to pick up the connection here. How comes from who? How we walk comes from who we worship. He just said in verse 5, other nations worship their gods. But our nation, at this point in time, Israel worships the God. Now, we did this way back at the beginning of the year. You can go back and listen to those messages. God is not the only God. He is not the only spirit. Now, all those other gods were created by him who were spiritual beings who sinned, rebelled, and now are here, and they're ruling and reigning over countries. This is why the book of Daniel talks about those, uh, the prince of Persia or the prince of, of Greece. There are spiritual authorities behind every authority on earth. And here's what we need to understand. When we start acting like the world around us, it is actually evidence that we're worshiping the wrong God. This is why God hates idolatry. This is why God hates idols. This is why God so quickly, and you'll see it in Micah chapter 5 at the end of the chapter, he so quickly says, I'm going to tear all those things down. Why? Because if you worship me, you don't worship what they worship. And what is it that they worship? They worship power. They worship might. Might makes right is how the world thinks. But what Micah is prophesying here, I think, again, my humble opinion, was he was prophesying about the future. And, and I think he's seeing the church and he's seeing how he is going to overcome the darkness in the world. He's going to overcome the evil and the hatred in the world. He's going to overcome all those things, but not with swords. In fact, you see this when Jesus is arrested. Remember if you've seen the, the movie by Mel Gibson about the, the crucifixion of Christ? Jesus is about to get arrested. Judas comes in and kisses him. And then they go to arrest Jesus. What does Peter do? He's like a Jedi, man. Right? He is ready. And he starts swinging. And he cuts off a dude's ear. And then Jesus, I mean, you just got to imagine Jesus like, Peter, bro. My gosh. Picks up the ear. Listen to me. And then what does he say? I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 26, not on the screen, verse 52. This is a good cross-reference, though. What does he say? Put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then he says this to Peter. This is why I love Jesus. He's like, Peter, do you not think right now I couldn't ask my father to send down 12 legions of angels? Those are thousands of angels. Most people think 10,000, so 12 times 10,000. You don't think I couldn't call them down right now and, and deal with these Roman jokers? 
You think that they're taking my life from me willy-nilly? Do you, do you not think that I'm not in? You think that's how we're going to win this, Peter? You think we're going to win this by a sword and chopping dudes' ears off? It's almost like Jesus was saying to him in this moment, have you not seen that war doesn't work? This is not how you bring people to faith by threatening them. And this is why, again, that's so important for us as Christians to know in 2020. I want you to hear me, church. Put your swords up. Put your swords away. Put them back in their place. And I would say go a step further. Instead of using all the energy to use your sword to tear other people down, how about you beat that into a plowshare and start digging and growing people up? I think that's what Micah's getting at here. Micah is getting at, listen, those who follow him, he, he who judges, they, they, they put up the sword. In fact, they beat their swords into plowshares. What if we, listen, what if we spent half the energy that we, that we use against arguing against people or having conversations that are unnecessary, half of that energy into just investing in people? And I've said this often, and I'll continue to say it, but especially through the pandemic, man, we get emails about all kinds of stuff. Mass, no mass, I've said it. Meeting, not meeting, people upset, people about this, people about that. You know what I never get emails about? You know what no one ever comes into my office and bangs their head on my desk and says with tears over their eyes and saying, how do we win more people to Jesus? I never get those emails, ever. I never have people upset that there's not enough people coming to Christ. Not happened in 20 years of ministry. Why? Because the devil has a unique way of putting swords in people's hands and let them get about the business of division. So church, hear me. And again, I want you, I'm not saying this because I got angry emails this week. I'm not saying this because I'm mad at y'all. Be like, Pastor, mad today. No, I'm not, I love y'all. I'm, I'm trying to pastor you through the pandemic and let you understand, man, I know politics is going crazy, but put the swords up. Put the swords up and grab a plow and start digging into the deep parts of what God is doing and planting. And then we will see what we actually want to see. Peace on the earth and goodwill towards men. Verse six, in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away. And those whom I've afflicted and the lame, I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from the time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, this is such like, we don't talk like this anymore. Hill of the daughter of Zion to you, it, it, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. What is he saying there? He's saying, listen, yes, I'm judging you right now. Yes, I'm about to send you in exile right now. But what am I also going to do? I'm going to gather you back. But notice the phrase he uses here. He says, I will assemble the lame. You know why most people don't become Christians? Because to become Christian is to become lame. I mean, we tried in middle school and high school to make Christianity cool, didn't we? If you were a Christian, you try to make it cool, man, with our music, with our, I mean, we would take the best t-shirts and then like put a Christian message on them. I used to hate that. It wasn't gold's gym. It was God's gym, right? It wasn't Heinz ketchup. It was, I don't even know what that one was, right? But we just, we, we took all the marketing, all the slick stuff, and we tried to make it cool. But never in the Bible does it say you come to Christ and you'll be cool. It says, come to Christ and you'll be lame. Now, let me explain the word lame. What's interesting, this Hebrew word here for lame is the exact same word that we saw in Genesis chapter 32 after Jesus wrestled with Jacob and he put his hip out of socket and then he walked with a what? A limp. Exact same word. Exact same Hebrew word. So what is it to be lame? It's to walk with a limp. And when you walk with a limp, you are walking in weakness. Again, 
We know who we worship by how we walk. See, the world says, no, walk proud, walk tall, walk with the sword, walk confident. The Bible says, no, walk low, walk humble, walk with the limp, walk in weakness. Why? Because look at what he says. He says, I will assemble those and the lame, I will make the remnant. Let me ask you a question, church. Who does the making? God, correct. Now, let me ask you another question. Would you rather be made out of your own ability to make something or made out of God's ability to make something? Of course, right? Why? Because what's awesome about this word, it means to form, fashion, and it, in, in the word, it's why I love it, it says, and sometimes without necessary materials. You want to know why I love God? Because he can make something out of nothing. It's what he did in Genesis 1, right? Barach, out of nothing he created. Out of nothing. There wasn't raw materials. There wasn't atoms or particles floating around. No, he actually made those atoms and particles out of nothing. Let me say it to you like this. One of the reasons why we don't get made into the image of Christ like we could is because we're not willing to admit we're actually weak. If we would admit that we're weak, Jesus in his very first sermon in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Beatitudes. What is the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit. So if 2020 has thrown you off your rocker, if 2020 has thrown you off kilter, if 2020 has wrestled you and messed you up and you don't know where to turn or what to do or where to go next and you just feel immobilized, great, you're lame. And guess what God will do with lame people? He will make them his remnant. So what I'm saying to you is this. The reason why you and I can put up our swords is because God fights for us. The reason you you and I can walk humbly with our God, we can do justice, love, kindness, and mercy, and walk humbly with him, is because if we do that, we will get what God can do for us, not what we can do for ourselves. This is why the statement is not in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. That is not in any verse of scripture, and it's actually a complete fabrication. It's a lie. God helps those who have no shot at helping themselves. And here's what I'm saying to you. God will help you to the measure to which you need to know that you, I'm saying this as I think it, all right? He will help you to the same extent to which you know how much you need to be helped. So if you'll admit, God, I'm so lame. I'm so weak. I can't do this. This is what I was talking about last week. He'll fill you with the spirit. He will make you. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 4. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, we spend so much time and energy fighting others and trying to make ourselves. And we misunderstand what he said in verse 8. I love this. He says, the former dominion shall come kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. You want to know why we attack people so much? It's because we're insecure in who we are. We're insecure in who we are. But when you come to Christ and you are now a child of God, you are now a daughter, a son. Kingship has come to you. Kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Dominion has come to you. You now have power and authority, and I'll get into this in just a second, to tread on serpents in the spiritual places. Do you know who you are if you're in Christ? And again, you learned this, or you should have learned this in middle school. And if you didn't learn this in middle school, then we're all talking about you. But the more you tear someone else down, the more insecure you are. We know this, right? If you make fun of people, it's because you aren't secure. Why? Because it takes a secure person to take themselves out of the spotlight and put someone else in it. It takes a secure person to put down the sword and to build up. But that's what Micah was prophesying that we would do, that what would happen in the kingdom of God. Man, if you knew who you were, you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. You don't need to fight. (laughs) 
again, I, mean, I can only imagine. It's like, it, I mean, and this isn't even an adequate comparison, but it's like if someone showed up to fight me and here I am, and then I got the little green army men and I put it down on the, on the floor and I'm like, I'm gonna fight you, but I got my green army man on my side too. And the people were like, what, dude? He, he, he ain't doing nothing. I can step on him. Yeah, that's us with God. We're the green army man. We, we bring nothing to this. But that's good news because we don't have to bring anything to this. That's why we can put the swords up. Now, I could preach all day. This is like five messages in one. I'm trying to squeeze them all in. So let's go. We ain't got much time. Verse nine. Now you who cry aloud, is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. That's when they were going to be going to exile, when the Babylonians were going to come in and conquer them. But listen to this. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Why did God allow them to be conquered? Two things, to show them that they weren't big and bad enough to conquer themselves, but two, to once they were defeated, to get them back. You want to know why God brings storms in our life? To show us that we're not God. To allow us to go into the storm and then to rescue us back from it. He lets us go into the storm because that's the only way we'll be humbled. That's the only way we'll understand how lame we really are. And until you get to that point in that place, you're like, I don't know what to do. Great, look up. And then there's God. There's God to rescue you back, to redeem you back. And then he says this, verse 11, how many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be defiled and let her eyes gaze upon you. Verse 12, I love this. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plans that he has gathered them as sheaves into the threshing floor. What is he saying? He said, listen, when I, when I send you into exile, they're going to gloat over you. They're going to sing over you and it, you're going to cry and it's going to be horrible. And they're going to think that they won you, that they got you, that their God is bigger than me, but they don't know my plans. I'm letting them win now as judgment to you, but then I'm going to come and crush them later. They don't know my thoughts. They don't know my plans. And here's what I need you to understand. Understand that you don't understand. Understand that you don't know his plan. I don't know his plan. I mean, you can ask me all day long. Why did the coronavirus happen? I ain't got a clue because I ain't God. But instead of asking, why is it happening? What I do know is I should ask the question, what does he want to teach me in it? That's a whole different question. And so often we spend so much time, we waste so much energy on asking why instead of what. What do you want to show me in this? But understand, God will allow it to look like he's losing. How do I know that? Look at Jesus. On Friday, he lost. And I'm not, I'm not like trying to spiritualize it. No, he straight up lost. He died. And his disciples were disheveled as they should have been. This is their king. This is their leader. He was supposed to overcome all the oppression around them. And he didn't. He died. He lost. What the heck is going on? Saturday. What is the deal? Oh, but Sunday. Because what is the best way to defeat your enemy? Lose to them first. And then overcome them later. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not describing the current presidential election process. Because I have no clue. But here's what I know. No matter how it feels like we're losing. If we're in Christ, we win. Why? Look at verse 13. Arise and thresh. Why? Because I brought them to you. O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze. 
You shall beat in pieces many people. You shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now, before you think, hold on, Jason, you just told us to put our swords up. Now you said we're going to defeat people. Yes. And apparent contradictions to us are not in the mind of God. Yes, we will defeat people. But how? With a different kind of sword. A sword that Paul calls in Matthew or Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. Arise and thresh. Why? Because church, here's what I need you to hear me say. Jesus defeated all the principalities and powers. Paul says in Philippians, he put them on display. That's what I was talking about. They thought they won. They were like cheering in the underworld, cheering on earth, thinking that they won. And then day three, uh uh-oh. They didn't win. Jesus won. He came back. And so what what Micah was telling them and what I think God is saying to us through Micah is, listen, church, it's time for us to rise up and fight, but not with swords, not with the world's weapons. Because what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6? I'm going to read it to you. Glad you asked. He said this, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. A stronghold, listen, is a mindset behind the action. It is is a way that your family said, well, here's how we do conflict. We do conflict that we blow up or we don't talk about it. That's a stronghold. And so in your marriage, if you just attack the action without attacking the mindset, the stronghold behind the action, then you'll only, only repeat what your family did. This is why you got to get emotionally healthy and you got you to step back a second and like, hold on. Yelling at each other is not working. Yeah, because that is a stronghold your family taught you that is not biblical and is not healthy. So how about we attack how you're attacking? And then maybe you'll stop attacking. But here's what I want you to hear. You have power to destroy that. You have power. Verse five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, man, we don't fight. With swords against flesh and blood, we fight against the darkness, the principalities, and the other realms. And what we need to understand is because Christ came and defeated them, we can now stand up and destroy them. And let me say, every stronghold that you and I deal with has been defeated. It's just waiting to be destroyed. Every mindset, every sin pattern... Every dysfunction, every unhealth, it's been defeated. He defeated it. It's just waiting for the church to arise and thresh. It's awaiting for you in your home. And maybe you're the first person in your family that started airing your junk in your family and everybody hated you. You're like, listen, I am not repeating this stuff though. We got to deal with this now. I don't hate you. I love you. We got to call this out. Why? Because in Christ, it's defeated. We need to destroy it. We don't have to live in crisis anymore. We don't have to live in chaos anymore. I don't care what is going on in the world around us. We can have rest in our hearts and in our house because our Christ has defeated it. He's overcome everything. This is why I didn't get freaked out about the election. You know who's going to be president? Whoever God wills. That's who's going to be president, whether you like the dude or not. And this is where people are like, well, I think God willed this person to be in there. Well, guess what? At two cycles ago, the person that you hated, God also willed that person to be in there. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. He wills the one you like, and he wills the one you don't like. But here's what you need to know. Revelation eleven 15. I'm quoting a lot of scripture to you today because I want you to understand that this is the message. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and shall reign forever and ever. 
Man can make his plans, nations can war and rage, but God will bring all nations underneath his subjection and rule. Every nation will become a part of the kingdom of God, church. Micah prophesied it. Revelation said this is going to happen. So you and I can, of course, we can engage in civil discourse. Of course, we can engage in politics. Of course, we can engage in things at local and state and national levels. Of course, but let us not ever forget to engage at a kingdom level. Put our swords back up. Quit fighting. Quit attacking. Quit cutting off people's ears. Jesus told Peter, put your sword up, bro. If you're going to live by that thing, you're going to die by that thing. It's not how we operate in my kingdom. We operate through weakness. We operate through understanding that when I am weak, though I am strong. So church, as we wrap up the message today, I want you to hear me say something. The title of today's message is Swords into Plowshares. In what areas of your life have you been fighting with the wrong weapons that God wants to speak to you today and say, put that up. Do it my way. Do marriage my way. Do relationships my way. Do sex my way. Do money my way. Do time my way. And if you'll, if you'll do it my way, if you'll admit that you're powerless and you'll allow me to, to indwell you, to fill you, to empower you, man, you will destroy strongholds in your life because it's already been defeated. They are dying. We get to come and knock them out and deal the final decisive blow. Why? Because God wants to do it in and through us by his spirit. See, Satan thought he just had to deal with one person until Christ arose, and now he has to deal with billions of people who know Jesus. Don't you know that the devil was like, uh-oh, dang it. I mean, it's like trying to clean off skunk smell with water. You just make it worse. The devil just made it worse on himself because now there's billions of people that are indwelt with the same spirit. They have the power over him and his dominions to destroy all the things that he is doing on earth. Church, it is our time to arise, to thresh, and to destroy all the evil in the world. Again, how do we do that? Through prayer, petition, submission. You don't need to go home and hit your neighbor in the face and tell them to know Jesus. You go home and you pray for them. And you humbly serve them. And then you speak to them about Jesus. Because that's how we do it. We got different kind of weapons, man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. And God, I pray today that what Micah prophesied, and in a lot of ways has already come true, we would see as your pattern because it's not fully true yet. Every nation and every tongue has not come under your authority. But God, help us to understand that the weapons that we fight with are not of this earth. They are not swords. It's the Spirit. So help us to know the Word of God Help us to dig into the word. Help us to plow up the word in our life, to plant the word in our life, to plant the word in our marriage, to plant the word in our kids, to plant the words in our groups, in our homes, in our businesses, in our jobs. And then God, I pray that you would remind us of who we are and the power that we have in you to destroy the things that are destroying us. So help us speak the word of God over the struggles in our life to bring every thought captive. 
And God, if there's anybody here today who has never trusted Christ, who's never come to that place of surrender, of lameness, where they admit they're powerless and they're broken, and you heal them, I pray, God, you'd save them. I may be looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never come to a point where you have bowed your knee, confessed with your mouth that Jesus is God, that he did come back from the dead and he did it for you, and you want to trust him, then today you can become a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of the king, and you can receive power through his Holy Spirit to overcome the evil in you. And so if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place and he died and rose again for me. I trust Jesus, putting my faith in him. I ask you to save me and forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Now, if you're here in one of our locations, we want to know about that. If you would, just take a moment and lift your hand so we can see who you are and get you a Bible and some next steps. That'd be awesome. Thank you. If you're watching online or in person, you'll have a moment to text us your information. But then those of us who have trusted Christ, let's be reminded. Let's listen to the words of Micah. Because remember, the prophecy came to the people because they weren't obeying God. They weren't doing justice. They weren't loving kindness and mercy. They weren't walking humbly. They were fighting with their swords. But if you are a Christ follower, I want you to hear me. Put your sword away. Quit fighting back. Your spouse is not the problem. The person next to you is not the problem. The person in you is the problem. You don't know who you are. You don't know what power you have available to you. And how you're walking is showing who you're worshiping. Because if you worship the one true God, you will walk differently. You will walk humbly. You will walk lovingly and kindly. You will walk to do justice. God, I pray that you would raise up a group of people here in Canton and in Jasper and all over the world that walks differently, that walks with confidence in you, knowing that we have the power in us because of Christ through his Holy Spirit to destroy strongholds, to take every thought captive. So God, I pray that you would give us that power as we admit our helplessness to you. Fill us with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.